TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. This is a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives. Today, we're not joined by Lawrence, our token Canadian. He's off doing something else, probably, I don't know, holidaying, sailing the yacht in Sydney. What else could he be doing, Bretto? Well, maybe CrossFit. I hear Cross- he's doing CrossFit oh, he's now. he's CrossFit at the moment. That's right. He's um, normally is an early adopter, but he's three years late for that one, isn't he? <laughs> isn't he? Well behind the curve. Well behind. But today, we are joined by another Canadian. Um, a, a, so he's our token Canadian today, which is exciting because without a Canadian, the show is just not right. Uh, we're joined by a world famous educator, a man who has partnered up with an amazing lady to bring programs to the world, educating children who are struggling with education and cognitive uh, learning disor- disabilities and, and, and all kinds of learning behavioral challenges. And uh, they've invented a school based program called Arrowsmith. Have you heard of that, Bretto? I have now. I hadn't heard of it until uh, you sent me the details for this interview demo. It sounds awesome. Well, you know Jodie, Jodie Bassel? Yes, Well, Jody, Jody sent me the link and said, we've got to interview Howard because he's on tour in Australia. And so I've actually come into Melbourne um, from my humble little house in, uh, in outer suburbs of Melbourne. I've come into the city, into the big smoke, to the seaboard. Listen to it. To, Listen uh, to it, Damo. You know, Damo, we travel to Melbourne from interstate for summits and breakthroughs. You know, like, you make it a big deal of traveling to the city. I've driven Give eight kilometers. I've driven eight kilometers to come into the city and I'm at the seaboard. I'm interviewing... <laughs> And I'm interviewing on the Wellness Guys live from the Seabull, and we're interviewing today the man who's integrated with with a lady to bring Arrowsmith to the world. I'm, I'm joined today by Howard Eaton. So, Howard, welcome to Melbourne. Well, thank you very much. I'm excited to be in this beautiful city. Went for a beautiful walk this morning along the river. It's just gorgeous. And you've realized why Melbourne's the most livable city in the world? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to live here. It's just it's fabulous. I told my wife and kids they got to come visit one day with me. Well, that's that's good. Well, we'd love to host you all again and um, and and make sure that happens. Absolutely, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> now, Howard, um, before Brett starts talking and asking questions, because often I don't get a word in. Um, <laughs> Brett knows that's true. That's why he's laughing. Um, I, I'd love to know more about how you got involved in teaching children. Um, you know how to learn. Yeah. Well, uh, I myself, as a youngster, was diagnosed with dyslexia. Uh, back in 1972, I was about seven years old, uh, living in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and uh, I wasn't picking up reading skills. And my parents were wondering, what's wrong with Howie? Uh, our son is, is not developing the ability to read or spell. And um, they got quite worried and uh, took me to a psychiatrist who was uh, fortunately an expert on dyslexia or reading disabilities or differences and uh, diagnosed me with severe developmental dyslexia. I had specialized uh, phonics instruction to learn to read and write. Phonics is sort of sound symbol training. Uh, I, I even went to a specialized school in Pennsylvania, a boarding school when I was in grade five and six to further develop reading and, and spelling skills. Uh, I eventually found a way to get through high school, uh, barely made it through college with my dyslexia. Uh, and then for some reason developed a, a desire to uh, stay in the field of special ed to help children with learning disabilities. I uh, got my degree at Boston University, a master's degree in special ed. Uh, came back to Vancouver and started working with uh, children and adults with learning disabilities, doing assessments, uh, diagnosing uh, and treating 
uh, those who had learning disabilities. Uh, and then uh, a parent came to me one day and said, have you heard of Barbara Aerosmith-Young uh, from Toronto? She has a program that improves cognitive capacities. And I was in the pre-plastic paradigm where we thought the brain was fixed. It so wasn't going to change. Mm. It was all set. Mm. So I was a skeptic when I heard these parents tell me. I said, oh, oh boy, who's going to fool you? You know, what's this program about? Who's this Barbara Aerosmith-Young? Uh, fortunately, the parents didn't listen to me about the program and decided to move from Vancouver, Canada, to Toronto, which is about a five-hour flight, uh, moved their whole family to receive the Aerosmith program, this cognitive intervention. Mm -hmm. uh, three years later, they came back, and I did their updated assessments to look at their cognitive functioning or their neurological functioning, and I saw improvements that I've never seen in pre- and post-assessments of children with learning disabilities. It absolutely shocked me, enough where I picked up the phone and said, Barbara, can I come visit your school in Toronto? What you're doing is absolutely shocking me. And I went to visit her in Toronto, and that trip in, in January or December of 2004, I said, I was flying back from Toronto, and I said, I gotta start a school in Vancouver. And now we have seven schools, six in British Columbia, one in Washington State, uh, and we continue to see remarkable results. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So Howard, let, let's talk about the problem to start with before we sort of get on to the solutions. But obviously, you know, this seems to be um, a growing concern with our kids and, and with learning difficulties and, and everything from, you know, autism and dyslexia and, and all these sort of issues going on. You know, can you just give us a bit of an update on where we're at with that? How big a problem is that now? Yeah, roughly 10% of children in schools are diagnosed with learning or have learning difficulties. Uh, and these range from, you know, things like reading disorders like dyslexia, dysgraphia, math disabilities, uh, dysgraphia is math disabilities, sorry, or dysgraphia is writing disabilities, dyscalculus math disabilities. Um, so there's a range of different types of learning difficulties. What's interesting as well is these students don't just struggle with math, reading, and writing. They also struggle with listening uh, to classroom discussions and remembering what they're listening to. They might have trouble organizing and understanding, uh, reasoning through concepts in class. Uh, they may have trouble uh, getting ideas on paper due to motor output difficulties. So it it's often extends beyond reading, writing, and math, but it's a significant problem faced by a lot of students, of course, not just children, but adults uh, with learning disabilities. So 10% is probably the worldwide sort of statistic on learning difficulties. It appears to me, Howard, um, that there's more and more children uh, being diagnosed with all kinds of learning disabilities um, and I'm not sure if that's coming from the fields of psychology or if it's coming from schools or, or where it's actually coming from but you, know, you mentioned a number of different names for learning disorders it seems mm. that now it's gone from just say having dyslexia to being very very specific about where you might be challenged with your learning um, is it for the listener is it, it, it does it all come from the same area of the brain or is it just is it just different areas of the brain aren't firing properly why is this becoming such a problem well i think um there's probably more awareness of learning difficulties in australia i know that you know the learning we call it learning disabilities in canada it's a different term uh, but those organizations started in the 1960s and 70s and researchers were underway looking at you know difficulties for children around the 1970s in america and canada uh, I think Australia might have, you know, been more recent developments in terms of their understanding of the various learning difficulties. Uh, but the research now is moving into the neurosciences, so we're able to sort of locate where dyslexia exists in the brain. 
the different regions involved in reading, the different regions of the brain involved in math and, and written expression. And what's interesting is looking at this neural structure, uh, we now know the causes neurologically of these difficulties. And what's amazing in my mind about the Aerosmith program is that uh, Barbara Aerosmith Young in the early 19, uh, late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, was reading neuroscience articles and seeing where the different regions of the brain were involved in these skills or these uh, skill developments and then started creating these cognitive exercises that would start remediating or improving those areas of the brain. This was in the pre-plastic paradigm before people really understood neuroplasticity or brain change. Uh, so she was way ahead of her time in terms of development and education just wasn't ready for her because uh, including myself in 2004, I was in the pre-plastic paradigm, thought the brain was fixed. And even the definition of learning difficulties is that it's lifelong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even today, people don't see the brain that can change and that these students don't have to face these difficulties all their life. So, Howard, what is, uh, what is causing these issues? I mean, you've said that there's some underlying neurological dysfunction there, but do we really know what's causing the, the underlying neurological dysfunction? And is that getting worse, or is it just that we're getting better at identifying it and labeling it? Uh, I, well, I think there's two, two things. I think, one, we're getting better at identifying and labeling uh, these learning difficulties because of our awareness of the brain, uh, because of brain imaging and, and results coming out of neuroscience and also cognitive uh, psychology. Um, I also think that our society is teaching our kids a certain way in terms of, for example, technology, where kids are often wired, they're looking at tablets, they're looking at computers. Um, and so what we're seeing for, uh, what we're seeing are patterns of, uh, for example, more weaknesses with executive functioning or what we call prefrontal uh, abilities in terms of planning, organizing, uh, structuring your day which are all prefrontal activities, and we seem to be getting a rise, an increase in more kids who have struggles with executive functioning. So I think there's an interaction between environment uh, and genetics, uh, which is creating a, you know, a, a unique brain or unique brains in children uh, that face different difficulties in school when, for example, they have to engage in tasks uh, on their own without scaffolding, without support. Sometimes you see these, what we call executive functioning weaknesses. So again, it's an interaction between the environment and genetics. I mean, uh, my my uncle, my great or my grandfather, my uncle, both were dyslexic. Uh, so uh, you know, there was a familial pattern of dyslexia or reading difficulties in my family. Howard, um, we, we've spoken about dyslexia, but there's often also, and certainly these days, there's a greater um, diagnosis of attention deficit. Mm -hmm. Is this different? Is dyslexia and attention deficit a very different kettle of fish? Yeah, they're, they're very different. Um, although you can have comorbidity, meaning you can have dyslexia and attention deficit. That'd be tough. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so not only in, in school are you struggling with the reading aspect and spelling and usually writing, uh, but you have trouble with attention consistency. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Barbara Aerosmith Young in the Aerosmith program has specific uh, exercises that help children with attention deficit in improving what we call prefrontal lobe abilities, which is this executive brain. Mm -hmm. uh, you need this executive brain to, to, again, organize and plan in your life. Uh, and if you have weaknesses in that, you just have problems, not just in school, but at work, uh, 
in your in if you're older in your marriage and your job uh, uh, socially you might have trouble with peers with with these difficulties so you know they can build on each other so you can have dyslexia you can have attention difficulties you can have math dis differences like dyscalculia you can have dysgraphia you could have them all for example in very severe cases of learning difficulties that's incredible it is. It's all. It's really exciting as well. Just the, yeah. the the work you guys are doing. I mean, as chiropractors, you know, we love the nervous system. We're so focused on you know a properly functioning nervous system and how that you know, neurology and neuroplasticity all works. And it's so exciting. And it's been really exciting recently to see that you know that sort of information coming through. First of all, in the science, but you know more recently in the in the popular culture, I guess with you know books like the brain that changes itself and and more information like that starting to come out. So um, you know. Can you tell everyone a bit about this you know, neuroplasticity? You know, how does it work and what sort of stuff are you guys able to do to, to tap into that and to create some neurological change in these brains? Yeah, the concept of neuroplasticity you know, isn't a, a new one in terms of um, history. You know, in the early 1700s, uh, there was a, an Italian uh, researcher who was looking at brain change with uh, cats and birds who were given more exercise and he would... Uh, of course, the bird would would be deceased when he would analyze the brain tissue and see more uh, complexity in neural structure, just visibly see it. They didn't have, of course, brain imaging. Uh, so in the early 1700s, uh, later on, uh, Michael Mersnick came along with uh, his program called Fast Forward uh, out of San Francisco, uh, and he started developing uh, an awareness of neuroplasticity in his studies uh, and research. Uh, back in the 1970s, 1980s. Uh, so it's been around some time. The, the problem in education, of course, uh, is that paradigms have a tough time changing. Once an idea is ingrained, like the definition of learning disabilities, disability, difficulties being lifelong, it's hard to get people to sort of rethink their awareness. Uh, fortunately, uh, Barbara Aerosmith Young in, in the late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, came across uh, research uh, from Mark Rosenzweig out of Berkeley where he was studying uh, rats and, and stimulating rats' environments and analyzing brain, brain neurological tissue uh, of those uh, rats uh, and finding more complicated neural structures. And uh, she looked at that and said, well, if, if uh, mice or rats can change their brains, why can't human beings? Uh, and she also understood that different areas of the brain, looking at uh, Dr. Luria, a Russian neuropsychologist, uh, who would be analyzing different cortical areas of the brain, and said, well, okay, here are these different cortical areas responsible for different functions of life. Uh, here's this work on neuroplasticity on, on mice from Dr. Mark Rosenzweig. And she said, well, if I combine these ideas, you know, maybe a human can change their brain. And of course, this was really you know, breakthrough concepts in education. Uh, and she developed her own exercises to try to heal her own brain or improve her own cognitive functioning. And one of the first things she started to do was she realized she had trouble with concepts, with reasoning, making connections between ideas. So watching uh, news shows that had multiple concepts built into it was difficult for her. Uh, reading textbooks which had concepts built in each paragraph and you had to interrelate these concepts was frustrating for her. Uh, and she said, well, you know, if, if, this, if there's a region of the brain responsible for conceptual understanding, then maybe I can develop it. Uh, and through the work of Dr. Luria, who was working with a Russian sh soldier who uh, had had a brain injury, uh, and one of the brain locations was the angular gyrus, which was responsible for this conceptual thinking. And he had lost the ability to tell time from analog clock from this 
from this uh, brain injury. Uh, and the other side effects was trouble with uh, reading comprehension and relating ideas with each other. And she said, well, if, maybe if I create the clock exercise, telling time with the analog clock, and I create these index cards with multiple clock faces on it, and I just drill myself over and over again, maybe my brain can develop through neuroplasticity this ability again, which she didn't have. I mean, she didn't have a, a brain injury. She was just born with this difficulty. And so through months and months of training, hours and hours of repetition, sometimes 12 hours a day reading clock hands, uh, she began to realize her behavior was changing, meaning she could watch a new show and understand it right away. She could read a book just once, not having to read it four times for understanding. And she started realizing, wow, my brain's changing. Maybe I can start creating exercises for the other learning difficulties I was having in my life. And then over the last you know, 30 years, there are 19 different learning mm -hmm. exercises for 19 different learning dysfunctions that she's created. Uh, you know, eventually developing the Aerosmith program out of all these exercises. Uh, so, you know, this, uh, you know, remarkable ability for this brain to change. It's been around for a long time, this concept, uh, but in education, it's relatively new. Uh, and the paradigm, it's having a, you know, tough time changing and being adapted in schools because it's a brand new idea for many people. I don't know about you, Brad, but I'm incredibly excited right now. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. Like, I'm so excited hearing about all these angular gyruses and places <laughs> within the brain that I can retrain. Now, I'm just wondering how, it, obviously, we're talking about um, this particular program or the Aerosmith program going into primary schools, and, and, and that's great. But there's adults out there who also feel that they or they, they may not even know that they've got a learning disorder or a challenge where they can't actually integrate or, or cognitive, cognitively, that's a big word, um, cognitively, um, I suppose, arrange all of these sort of information in their brain. Is it too late for us once we get to 40 or 30 or even 50 mm -hmm. to be able to remodel it and is it, or is it just harder? Uh, it's absolutely, uh, you're capable at any age to reshape your brain. Uh, we at our school and the ones in Toronto, we work with adults uh, who have these learning difficulties. So we work with those who are 20 and 30 and 40. We've worked with someone who was 81 years old who really didn't have a learning difficulty. She was just interested in, in, in sort of keeping sharp and nice. improving her neurological functioning. Uh, so the Aerosmith program and many other programs that are out there for neuroplasticity or brain improvement uh, are there for any age. Um, and certainly, uh, it's very exciting news to know that, you know, if you're 25, you've been through school, uh, it's been a miserable experience, uh, you feel hopeless, you know, you can't hold a job, you can't hold a relationship, uh, you're despondent, that there's great hope to know that this brain changes all through our lives. And it's not just, uh, you know, with learning uh, to read or to learning to do math or improving uh, your executive functioning, uh, but also if you want to become an expert at juggling or you want to become an expert at driving a cab and trying to find locations or you want to become a musician. It really depends on how much time you're willing to dedicate yourself uh, to these tasks, uh, repetitive tasks, to alter your brain functioning. So it's all about engagement, it's all about repetition in order for your brain to change. It's the, the keys to neuroplasticity. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm so excited. Um, we interviewed a guy on another podcast. His name's Stephen Jepson. 
and, uh, and Stephen Jepson's in America, and he taught himself to juggle at the age of 60. And then he walks on um, soft ropes, and he can um, ride unicycles, and he skips, and he hops on one leg, and does all these things, and now he's 76. And, uh, and he's more flexible and agile than, than most young children. And so exactly what you're saying, we've seen, and, and we've interviewed people you know, doing that. So it's, it's really exciting that... Um, that it is possible to be able yeah. to do this. I, I think you know one of the, the one of the setbacks is it's hard work. Yeah, right? to to be a master at a cognitive function or a set of cognitive uh, functions requires hard work and dedication and mastery and repetition uh, and mistakes and failure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think we create sometimes a culture where failure is feared, where effort is something that uh, is considered bad that you should be efficient at something immediately straight away uh, many kids who have uh, gifted abilities uh, they may be gifted in certain areas but will avoid activities where they're not so good at because they just don't like the feeling of not being perfect right away uh, you know there's this culture of perfection uh, that is really detriment to the concept of neuroplasticity and brain change and hard work uh, and so you know within the Aerosmith program paradigm is this awareness that you know you, you have these learning difficulties. Uh, we know the sort of structural design in terms of the neural architecture of why it's occurring, but we're actually gonna create exercises that are gonna challenge those weaknesses. We're not gonna bypass them, we're not gonna accommodate them. That's sort of the paradigm now, which is to avoid your weaknesses. Yeah. We're actually gonna target them, we're gonna celebrate your success, uh, and we're gonna alter your brain and put you back into the learning environment, and you'll have greater possibilities for careers, for choices, uh, for things you want to do in your life rather than limitations and, and, and narrowing someone's ability to see uh, ideas for their future. So exciting. I love that. I love that, Harold, because that's really changing our concept of aging, isn't it? We kind of, we have this idea that aging is just this, you know, often quite rapid decline in terms of mental and physical function. And I think so often it's our idea of what is normal that sort of shapes our, our reality in terms of how we age. And, yeah. and if we can change that and understand that that we don't have to go down that path, that, that we can keep learning and growing and developing, then, then we can really change that concept of aging, which I think is going to be really exciting, but also so important for our population going forwards as our population ages as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I had a wonderful walk. Uh, I'm not sure what the river is here in Melbourne. The Yarra, Yarra River. Yarra River. And, you know, I saw, you know, men and women in their 70s jogging. And right away in my mind, I said, oh, wow, you know, that brain is going to be full of BDNF, this sort of, a neurochemical that's sort of like a growth fertilizer of the brain that stimulates brain growth and brain plasticity. You know, all these sort of neuroscience concepts come to my mind when I see people physically exercising. And, and even in our schools in Canada, the Eaton Aerosmith schools and the one in Toronto, the Aerosmith school, we incorporate not just the ideas of Aerosmith, but also we incorporate mindfulness practice at our school to improve the relationship between the amygdala and the prefrontal lobe in terms of calmness and the ability to handle stress. We also get our kids out to exercise uh, because we know exercises increases plasticity of the human brain. So we take ideas around the field of neuroscience and incorporate it in our school, uh, which I think enhances the child's capabilities in neuroplasticity in a variety of ways. Howard, this is amazing. Now, there'll be um, 
Unfortunately, when this goes to air, you will have completed your tour of <laughs> Australia, which is a shame. But everybody who will be receiving this will, will have seen it on Facebook. So I'm hoping that many of the people that have a chance to listen to this will have already been to your lectures. And, and also, uh, Barbara Aerosmith-Young, the founder of the Aerosmith program, is coming yes. to Australia in August. Oh, uh, so probably wow. a, a link to uh, her tour date uh, could yeah. be on a highly recommend going seeing this woman. She is uh, Norman Doidge in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself. Yes. Uh, mentions her in the same name as like Helen Keller, for wow. example. Wow. Uh, uh, in my mind, she's the, the, the Maria Montessori, the Helen Keller, uh, a remarkable person who probably in her lifetime won't see the full impact of her work just because the paradigm in education is slower to change. Um, and, um, you know, which is to me sort of uh, sad because she's just a, a humble person herself. But I highly recommend that they go see her in August when she's here. So. Oh, absolutely. But I do find it fascinating that um, in 1896, when D.D. Palmer first adjusted um, Harvey Lillard and his hearing was restored, and, uh, and that's how chiropractic began, that for many years people came to see D.D. Palmer to try and get fixed for whatever it was, but they noticed that their body changed in other ways. And so it wasn't that necessarily whatever they were going for was getting fixed, but their whole nervous system was reorganizing because of the adjustments that they were receiving. That this is right now exactly what we're talking about with learning. Are you, are you finding that amazing? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? It's all about that, that as I said, functional neurology, which we've been talking about for so long, and the concept that, that there is the ability there of your body to, body to adapt and to heal and to change. It's, it's so exciting to see this being put into action. Yeah, the you know, some of the groups like speech language therapists, they understand the concept of neuroplasticity uh, well before, you know, special education teachers in public schools. Uh, the issue is that in public education or private education, the teachers training at universities need to include, you know, the understanding of the brain, the neural structure of the brain, what causes learning differences. We need to put that in place in teacher training because we need a shared language in neuroscience and education. If we don't have a shared language, people sort of fear each other yeah. uh, and they tend to go to their own conferences. They tend to pat each other on the back, but there's no communication between the two. Uh, and uh, sometimes there's mocking uh, of each other between the two. But what's been fun with um, speech language therapists, uh, chiropractors, uh, medical doctors, neuroscientists, is they understand Barbara's vision. They understand what she's saying, why she's saying it. Uh, the breakthrough will have to take place in education, obviously, because that's where Barbara's program uh, is, is in place. Although we are now looking at traumatic brain injury and using the Aerosmith program. We've done some research in that. Uh, wow. We also have done, uh, begun some very serious research studies at the University of British Columbia, Southern Illinois University, and looking at brain imaging and the Aerosmith program. Uh, and this is a, a very exciting phase in the development of uh, neuroscience and education in that we're taking the Aerosmith program uh, and looking at these brain structures in children who are actually engaged in the Aerosmith exercises and seeing changes over time. Uh, the field currently has studied things like dyslexia and attention deficit, and we know the neural structures that cause these differences. But no one's ever said, okay, let's try to remediate some of these neural structures and systems and see what kind of changes are taking place. And now we're doing that with the Aerosmith program. One exciting finding is we're three months into the research and we're seeing, for example, children with learning difficulties 
at initial brain imaging show very little prefrontal lobe activities. And again, this is your executive brain, the one sort of in charge of organizing and planning your brain structure and events in your life. Imagine that, that these kids are walking around with difficulties with prefrontal functioning. Uh, and we're trying to support them and scaffold them and get them through life because of this weakness. Well, three months into the Aerosmith program, their prefrontal lobe is beginning to fire up in resting state, meaning resting state is a default network in the brain where uh, if you imagine yourself just sitting and just sort of daydreaming and mind wandering, that's called a resting state. And in that resting state, your prefrontal lobe is, is firing up because it's thinking and planning. Uh, but again, in kids with learning disabilities, there's less of that occurring. Uh, and uh, in three months of Aerosmith, uh, it's beginning to fire up. It's beginning to be more aware. And kids describe it as sort of being lifted from a fog or being in real time with people as a result of doing the Aerosmith program. So it's not just about teaching reading, like teaching the, or restructuring the cognitive structures in, for reading, for example, but it has a bigger effect. The Aerosmith program is sort of awakening the brain to be more present, to be more in real time. Uh, and as well, we're also seeing increases in myelin in the brain. Myelin is a coding structure, neurons, that increases, the, the thicker the coding, uh, the greater the, the electrical impulse between the dendrites, uh, the neural structures in the brain. So, you know, myelin or white matter is a good thing to have. You can have excessive amounts, which is not good. Uh, but so there's a medium that's sort of a good amount. And we're seeing with implementing the Aerosmith program, we're seeing overall a 5% increase in myelin in the brain in just three months. So again, it, it's, it gives the, the notion that these brains are, uh, systems are communicating better. The electrical synapses can go through the myelin faster. Uh, and we're seeing more activation in regions that weren't there before. And this is where we are with brain imaging. We can now do those things. Uh, and that will bring, bring evidence, I think, to educators where they have to say, okay, okay, something's happening here that's really important. Uh, we now need to take it even more seriously in terms of the impact uh, a cognitive remediation program can have on children and adults. It's so amazing. This is so amazing. I w I'd love to go for another hour. Well, what about you, Brett? I know that we can't, but wouldn't it be great? Um, Definitely. Brett, um, Howard's written a book. It's called Brain School. And, uh, and just very briefly uh, for the listener, because I know we've got to wrap it up, um, what, what could you tell us about Brain School that people could actually learn from that book? Yeah, Brain School is, I think, a really good book for educators, uh, even parents, uh, where I look at my first years of doing the Aerosmith program. It talks a bit about my skepticism of Aerosmith initially mm -hmm. uh, because I was in the pre-plastic paradigm. I was trained at graduate school. The brain was fixed like a computer. Mm -hmm. I had that sort of model. So it tells that story, but then it goes into nine case studies over three years of implementing Aerosmith with these students and seeing pre and post changes in achievement, but also in cognitive functioning, you know, things like uh, processing speed or working memory capacity, uh, reasoning capacity. And I was able to do pre and post measures, just sort of like nine case studies. And they speak to things like dyslexia, attention disorders, written output disorders, or difficulties that parents can, uh, you know, uh, feel a relationship to if they have a child with that difficulty. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was sort of a paradigm-changing book in education in that regard. Uh, and then, of course, there's Barbara Aerosmith Young's book, The, the Woman Who Changed Her Brain, which is also a, a fabulous book, which goes Amazing. more into the theory and development of Aerosmith. Yeah. Oh, this has been absolutely fascinating, Howard, and thank you so much for coming all the way to Melbourne to do this interview. I think absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I think it's I, great. I've learned new terms like brekkie. 
Is that, is that right for breakfast? So. <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, nice. Yeah, nice. well, you know, you'll be a token Australian before too long. So that's terrific. Now, um, you will have toured Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and Wellington and Christchurch by the time this goes out. So I'm hoping that many of the people um, that listen to this podcast will have actually attended your event. But obviously with Barbara coming out again um, in August, they'll get the opportunity um, to, uh, to see her and, and to hear her. Um, it, it truly is an amazing um, sounding program. It seems to me that it goes well and beyond, uh, beyond um, programs such as Luminosity, which you can get on online. Um, but again, that's still promoting um, plasticity of the brain. And even just learning and reading a book and remembering new tasks is indication of plasticity yeah. within the brain. As long as you're engaged in something and you challenge yourself it, and with repetition and you get harder and harder tasks related to it, yeah. you're changing your brain every day, every moment. I'm loving it. And where can people go to get more information about R.S. Smith? Uh, you can go to the website, uh, www.aerosmithschool.org. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's also our schools in Vancouver, www.eatonaerosmithschool.com. Mm-hmm. Not the Aerosmith band. Don't do A-R-E-O, <laughs> but okay. A-R-R-O-W. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, everybody, I'm sure you got a lot out of this uh, particular interview, and I know I have. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've, I've been nodding and smiling, and my brain's been firing listening to, to Howard talk. So... Thank you very much, Howard. And everybody, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the wellness guys, and tell us what you thought of this episode. Share this podcast with your friends and family and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, make sure you leave us a five-star rating because you know how much Brett and Lawrence love those. And give us a comment. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wellness Guys Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.